brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome NFL strategy show. It's a big day. Week two rapidly approaching, and that means that Matt Savoka and myself, Dave Lockram, are going to be breaking it down in full 13 games. That's right. 13 game slate heading into week two. Let's make it happen. Matt, how you feeling, man? How was week one? And uh, you looking forward to, to week two now that we've got our feet under us? Yeah, week one was awesome. I'm really stoked for week two. I feel like we got a lot of things right. There were some things that changed from Thursday into Sunday, especially that Bears-Lions game. We definitely talked about that one incorrectly. But I, I think week two's got even better matchups here. Some really high over-under, some really great games. Absolutely. We got a... Uh pretty exciting show coming up after this it is Matt Kajeski and Kyle Dvorak they were on yesterday's show with me on the NFL strategy show they do a phenomenal job of breaking stuff down we got some great new guys Matt you Matt Kajeski Kyle uh, and a bunch of others that that I'm forgetting to mention but they're coming up they got a FanDuel DFS strategy show so FanDuel specific coming up after us supposed to be noon we're gonna push that back because Matt we need a little bit additional time uh, to make this work Jordan Klein producing the show Jordan, I think we're going to do 1230 or one o'clock. I'll let you know in a minute. But um, anyway, Matt, here's what I say. We did a lot of, of, of the week one recap on, on Monday and Tuesday and even Wednesday with the forward looking process on the second half of Wednesday's show. I say now that it's Thursday, we make the full pivot to week two and we jump right into it, kicking it off with these 1 p.m. games. Let's go. All right. We're happy to have everyone with us as always. If you're just walking in the door, hammer that thumbs up button. And if you haven't subscribed yet, do so hit the notification bell as well. We have so many shows coming up. You always want to know when each show is coming up and dropping next uh, from the, the FanDuel strategy show coming up after this to MLB live before four lock NBA live before lock and NFL showdown live before lock. If you're tuning in and you're looking for 
showdown specific content well stick with us because we're breaking everything down for the main slate but make sure to tune in tonight at 7:20 eastern time as alex awesome baker and kyle Dvorak break down that live before lock slate they're going to be hitting on some player props as well too i was going over them this morning some phenomenal player props uh, i think some really beatable ones today as well people seem to be overreacting from week one whether it's good or bad uh, and it seems to be shifting some of this, even though you can't get a ton of volume down on them. Uh, there's some really good ones. So they'll get into all of that as well. Hit that notification bell so you know when everything pops up. All right, let's kick it off with Green Bay and Detroit. Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, the Green Bay Packers in this one, uh, coming off a, a very impressive week one win against the Minnesota secondary and defense that we're going to talk a lot about later in the show. They're laying six and a half points. This game has a 49 and a half point total as well. Uh, it, it, I really don't think it was much of a surprise, Matt. We talked about this a whole lot last week to see Devontae Adams absolutely go off. He was targeted 17 times on the day. Um, Lazard and MVS. <laughs> yeah, Lazard and MVS had solid games, but all in all, they weren't targeted very heavily. 39% market share of targets for Devonte Adams, where everyone else just kind of picked up the scraps and well, Aaron Rodgers made their lives really, really easy. Uh, let's start with green Bay at home here in Lambeau field, and then we'll work our way over to the Detroit lions. Yeah, absolutely. Adams saw all those targets. And if you factor in air yards and you use something like weighted opportunity share, he saw 40% of the Packers pass volume in a game that really was a lot uh, further apart than the final score indicated. The Vikings kind of roared back a little bit in the fourth quarter, but Rodgers was uh, unstoppable. I saw some film grinders on Twitter calling it the best he's ever looked on film. That throw to Devontae Adams in the end zone, absolutely insane. So I, I think, you know, you got to roll with MVP level, level Rodgers a little bit uh, going in here. I, I noticed that that total is up a little bit since the beginning of the week, so it looks like People are kind of pushing the idea of a shootout here. And uh, I, I do see it, especially if Detroit has their full arsenal of weapons on the receiving side. Uh, yeah, Galladay makes a big difference in that, in that passing game. So it could be fireworks, absolutely. We should have this fixed. Jordan, you got that fixed? Okay, we had some volume issues. Uh, let us, guys, let us know in chat if, uh, if, if we're back to where we should be. Um, oh. Well, I'm coming in hot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's both of us. We were, we were too low. Okay. Uh, uh. Uh, so, by the way, someone mentioned in chat that wouldn't Adam's targets regress a bit and spread out? So that's kind of the thing. Normally, the answer to that would be yes, right? But I don't know if that's necessarily the case in a spot like this because your second and third receivers, um, your, your starting tight end, all of these guys are – all of these guys are very, very um, lackluster in terms of what we should expect from them, what we should expect from them on a weekly basis. If De Devontae, Ad here's what I'm saying. Devontae Adams, this dude is going to average double-digit targets per game this year. If he doesn't, Correct. I'd be shocked, Matt. I, if, I think you're going to see 2018 DeAndre Hopkins target share and target volume for Devontae Adams this season. Yeah, I, I really have nothing to disagree with there. And even if his target share moves over to someone like Lazard or MVS, I still think from an air yards perspective, you're totally covered. I think especially in full PPR like DK, you're looking at uh, a locked in 
cash game. If you can fit him, you play him every week for Devontae Adams. Okay, so outside of him, Aaron Aaron Jones, I had an Aaron Jones rushing prop over 65 and a half, and I think he finished with 66. 66. So wow. we'll take that all day. But it is it is an interesting team in that the volume is going to go to to two guys primarily, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. Now, to be fair, Jamal Williams did have some opportunities. He was on the field a decent amount, saw 11 total looks, seven carries and four targets. Uh, second round draft pick A.J. Dillon was not featured, really didn't factor in much at all, two attempts for 14 yards. Uh, and then they decided to mix in Tyler Irvin a little bit too, had a 21-yard scamper, had a few looks uh, or a few, a few carries in a look. But all in all, this should be Aaron Jones' backfield. Uh, I'm expecting between 15 and 20 carries a week from him in positive game scripts. Uh, and I would assume this is another positive game script. But, Matt, the, the running back position has a lot of really good value, a lot of really good, as it stands now, low-owned plays. Um, does Aaron Jones make any sense to you, or do we just have too many good options surrounding him in week two? Well, you're right that we have a ton and I'm looking at Osimo's projections here, and he comes in at 12.2% ownership right now. Uh, so it doesn't look like he's being faded at all by the field. That's quite high. Um, at the same time, one of the beneficiaries of Aaron Rodgers possibly playing like the top level we've seen him at is they're going to be at the goal line. You know, he had so many touchdowns last year, and he added a uh, as you said, decent 66 yards on the ground. You had a touchdown to that, and all of a sudden you paid her in, in fantasy football. So I think you have a lot of opportunities for him in high-value places. And like you said, A.J. Dillon, not that involved. We always assumed that he was going to work in slowly as a rookie. But uh, the rotation isn't going away. It's just those touchdowns we're trying to capture. It really is. Um, and we saw a ton. We, we saw the touchdown equity for someone like Aaron Jones so high last year ridiculous ridiculous numbers um you know what else was 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 really nice to see with Jones though and, and surprised me a little bit but I guess it shouldn't have while he didn't rack up the yardage he did have six targets so he he is definitely definitely um going to be going to be utilized quite heavily is there anyone else for Green Bay that you like yeah, I think the way that we saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling hit in week one is something we're going to see again, particularly if Rodgers has his way with the secondary. Now, not we should mention not every secondary is going to be the Minnesota Vikings secondary. I think this is one we're going to pick on. Uh, but it's not like uh, the Lions were much better last Sunday being able to uh, be beat up by Mitchell Trubisky. So I, I, I don't really like either of them as anything but a flyer GPP play. Yeah, me neither. What about uh, on the other side? Kenny Galladay was sidelined last game. Matt Kajewski mentioned something pretty funny that uh, it feels like everyone in Detroit is out with hamstring injuries. Kenny Galladay, no exception. He didn't practice yesterday, has yet to resume practice, which sucks because I have so much of him in season long and best ball fantasy. Really loved him coming into this year with a healthy Matthew Stafford. Uh, I don't want to say that he's unlikely to play, but it's it's difficult to say what we're going to get out of him this week. His price is 6,200, though. Marvin Jones is 5,700. This game, according to Vegas, is profiling as a shootout. It's got one of the highest totals on the slate, third to be exact, at 49 and a half. Uh, what are our thoughts or what are your thoughts on the, on the, pa the pass catchers here? We can get into this muddled backfield in a moment, but... 
if Galladay does play 62, if he doesn't play Marvin Jones is 5,700. Yeah. I, I think as we mentioned last week that the lions use Kenny Galladay in so many high leverage situations. They love him for multiple deep targets a game and multiple goal line looks if they're lucky enough to get there. And what I thought I saw in week one is an offense that was without its main playmaker looking for another body to step up. One thing to mention is rookie Quintus Cephas saw 10 targets, only caught three of them, but 10 targets in your first game in the NFL as a fifth round pick is nothing to scoff at. But when you're trying to ask Marvin Jones to step up into that one a role and then somebody else like Amendola Hawkinson or the aforementioned Cephas to step up, it's a lot to ask. So I, I'm worried about this game going under its total because the Lions not showing up if Galladay's hamstring continues to be an issue. And they certainly didn't rank very well in terms of net expected points. Uh, they were 20th in the league. And so their defense looks beatable. We have a great offense coming in and an offense that, again, is struggling to find its identity without Kenny Galladay. They are, and they had a chance to win, but DeAndre Swift, oh. poor, poor guy. Poor guy uh, ended up dropping that pass in the end zone. It was a great drawn up play. It was a, it was, a, it was a great play call. It was a great throw perfectly placed poor fella. Uh, anyway, the, the backfield is, is truly a mess. And I, I don't really feel like taking any guesses on this now. May, maybe, maybe you have a different interpretation of this, but for me, I, I'm not, I'm not high on Adrian Peterson. I, I know that in, in last game you saw what he he played 31% of snaps, but led the team in carries by a wide margin. Swift played 44%. Korean Johnson played 26%. It was all over the place, man. And, and Adrian Peterson is not somebody that's going to be used uh, effectively as, as a pass catcher, despite the three receptions on three targets, 14 carries for him. Korean Johnson, who many thought would have a pretty sizable role was, was pretty much phased out. For Adrian Peterson, only seven carries and three attempts for DeAndre Swift. Swift was targeted five times and, and ran a decent amount of routes. But all in all, I don't really have much interest in trying to take guesses against a decent enough defensive front in Green Bay. What are you doing with them? Yeah, I think I would have a little bit of Swift in GPP plays because of the pass catching upside. And you saw him, they went to him at the goal line. He had a touchdown there. And obviously they tried to get it to him for that game winning score. It just didn't go his way. Uh, Adrian Peterson, as you mentioned, he was utilized essentially every time he was out on the field. So like you said, didn't play a lot of snaps, saw the ball over 75% of the times when he was on the field. So he's there, he's there, uh, trap running back, the low value touch running back for them Cer certainly could get a goal line look, but even the fact that we saw the rookie swift get that goal line look in week one, I, I think there's still a sky high, uh, potential for swift and then carry on Johnson just got the ceremonial start. Uh, essentially he started the game out there and then Peterson just outran him. So I have no interest whatsoever in Johnson. In, yeah. in really any type of format. Me neither. And DeAndre Swift, uh, if you look at pro football focus, he ran 23 routes on the day. That was the ninth most among all running backs. So it's not bad, right? Like Christian McCaffrey ran 34 routes in, in that game uh, or in week one. DeAndre Swift was on the field 
with opportunities to make some plays as a pass catcher. I get it. I don't have a problem with it at 4,900. I wish he'd be a little bit cheaper because I'd still, I'd still much rather go to like Ronald Jones at 5,200, but, but I I can understand the appeal there. Uh, Any thoughts on Hawkinson or any tight ends in this game before we move on? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned it. I still think that there's another level to Hawkinson's game in the passing game, but because Detroit still has a bit of the, the old school rush first mentality, I don't know if we'll ever see that full target ceiling for him. They seem much more committed to using slot receivers like Danny Amendola, like Quintus Cephas. So I think it's really a touchdown or bust for him. Let's move it on here. Game two, Sam. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Francisco, New York Jets. Richard Sherman hitting the uh, the IR. Now, short-term IR, he's probably going to be out for like three weeks. So nothing too much to read into from a long-term standpoint. But this game... A slight bit of an impact. I don't think it makes a huge difference giving the passing attack and just given a completely inept job that Adam Gase has done to get this passing offense really moving and firing on all cylinders. But I digress. 49ers are, are laying seven points on the road, 42 and a half point total. The Jets have an implied total south of 18. So that doesn't look good. We'll kick it off with San Francisco. Raheem Mostert, last game, 15 carries, 56 yards. Um, he had 95 yards on five targets, of course, thanks in large part to a 76 yard uh, catch and run for a touchdown. I got to tell you, he's been largely overlooked in a lot of spots. And, and I think because people worried about snaps respectively, uh, Kyle Juszczyk played 58%, but you know that he's not out there to make plays with his hands. Um, Raheem Mostert, 60% of snaps. Uh, and he was featured in both facets of the offense. And you have to think, Matt, a lot of that has to do simply with the fact that they've been decimated at the wide receiver position early on. That's exactly right. And you saw in the 49ers offensive game plan early in the game, they were trying to get George Kittle involved everywhere in space. He was the entire receiving game plan. And once he got hurt in the second quarter, it shifted things dramatically. You saw Jarek McKinnon being used out of the backfield in the passing game. I believe that the 49ers had the lowest percentage of targets to wide receivers out of all NFL teams last week. And so once you had Kittle go away, it just became difficult to move the ball, particularly passing to anyone but running backs. Uh, As you said, most are bailed fantasy owners out for getting that long touchdown, but this backfield still belongs to him in an offense that still is above average in quality. Uh, It, it just really is devoid of a singular playmaker on the outside. And we're going to really have to see Kyle Shanahan sort of work his magic with these three options. So Tevin Coleman was underutilized in that game completely. It's possible that Jordan Reed has to step up if he's healthy, but for the most part, I think it's only most dirt you're looking at. And I think he's really only a tournament option. Yeah. George Kittle saw five targets in that game before going down. 
Uh, Jordan Reed got two. Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor had five apiece as well. Dante Pettis with a lone look. Uh, so Raheem Mostert tied for the most targets in this game. It's funny, though. Th- the one thing you hate about, uh, about targeting pass catchers here outside of Kittle is Garoppolo likes to spread things around. Uh, I remember saying at one point last season uh, in the 2019 season that there was one game, I think, where through the first eight weeks where a receiver had more than five targets. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. There were two. There were two games through the first eight weeks where a receiver had more than five targets in a single game. It's a pretty crazy stat when you think about it, Matt, that you know, even in a specific game where someone's playing really well, uh, Garoppolo hasn't been willing to lock on to them. And you, know, you can attribute a lot of that to the fact that they'd rather just run the ball down your throat. Uh, and, and I think with, with, um, with Debo Samuel on the IR, that's just going to open things up for the ground game even more, not open it up, sorry, but it's going to force them to go to the ground more. They targeted wide or they targeted running backs uh, in this first, in this week one game, they targeted running backs. um, What? 15 times. Yeah. 15 targets. Sorry. uh, 10. Yeah. 15 targets to running backs, 11 targets to wide receivers. Only three receivers were targeted in this whole game. Yeah, it's true. I, I think fundamentally though, what I'm worried about is, Trent Taylor, Jarek McKinnon, Kendrick Bourne, that's not an NFL caliber wide receiver or just receiving core in general. I I just am concerned that if you don't have a passing game in the modern NFL, even if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have these three three great running backs, you're still playing at such a big disadvantage. Uh, I'm really happy to see Jarek McKinnon, who looked athletic in his first game back in over two years. I'm really happy for him, but I still don't trust him on a week-to-week basis. And you're right, Dave. The, the 49ers, in, look, in terms of true weighted opportunity, that's when you include air yards into target share and put it into one metric. If you look at the condensation of the, if you condense it, the lowest three people, just the top three people in the offense, the 49ers had the lowest percentage in the NFL. So essentially, you're exactly right. They're spreading the ball around the, essentially the most, more than any other team. Jordan, read that chat, see if we can get that fixed up. I don't, dude, I'm telling you, I don't know if it's Zoom lately. I don't know if it's OBS. I don't know what's going on. Uh, if the sound and, and if, if the video audio isn't synced, um, I guess enjoy watching us look ridiculous on screen. As long as the audio is working, that's really all that matters, right? I know I'm pretty, but no, I'm yeah. joking. I haven't shaved. <laughs> look at that, Matt. I am just a disgusting slob over here. That's the problem with working from home. You know what I mean? You're just getting really bad habits. I'll tell you. Not what good. habits? What habits? <laughs> you want to Everything, know <laughs> everything's gone everything's gone <laughs> yeah exactly well you know i used to shower every morning no i'm just kidding ask adam share about his habits you'll enjoy that too so okay the other side of this one with the new york jets jameson crowder broke off that 69 yard reception again a, a lot of a lot of this if you had looked at buffalo's defense uh, i'm sorry if you looked at jameson crowder's game it would have been pretty underwhelming he'd have had like six for 12 for 50 or something 60 yards which is yeah i know i'm sorry that was a 70 yard reception right 69 yards so and he had 115 so you do the math like it would have been your typical jameson crowder game so just just to point that out you're not going to see a ton of 50 60 70 yard breaks from jameson crowder in the future so you know when you're looking at fantasy points always try and put that in context right um Jamison Crowder's 5,400. 
there is no Richard Sherman, but he wouldn't have seen much of him anyway. Uh, I, I do think Brashad Perriman likely gets a boost just because Sherman won't be lining up outside. Uh, likely it would have been against him. Maybe that helps. He's 3,800, but all in all, I, mean, I, I can't exactly say I, I, I'm jubilant about the prospects of this New York Jets pass, uh, passing offense. No, not at all. And, you know, I think we'd be mentioning the San Francisco secondary's injuries a lot more uh, seriously if it weren't the Jets lining up against them this week. Now, I will mention uh, that Jamison Crowder did actually draw 13 targets, which is nothing to scoff Dude. at. That's a huge target Dude. share. It's a good point. And, yeah. and there, when you add in air yards and you create weighted opportunity, it again, it looks something like Devontae Adams. Now, of course, talent wise, we're not putting him in that category. But when you add the fact that he now showed that he could break one tackle and break a long run, there's absolutely some upside there for a deplete or against a depleted San Francisco secondary who not only is missing Sherman, but Akila Weatherspoon as well. So they're left with Emmanuel Mosley, who was 33rd in defensive grading via PFF and Quan Williams, who is 55th. That's second and third caliber cornerbacks against the solid offense. We might say this is something to target, but with the jets, we're basically saying, Let's hope and prayer that Jamison Crowder gets 13 targets again or Chris Herndon finds the end zone. No, you're right. You can't scoff at the fact that he got 13 targets. That's a lot. Uh, they were also playing from behind for the, for the entirety of that game, and that's going True. to be par for the course for the Jets this season. So I would expect it to be uh, them to be in a similar situation in, in, week, in week two. Uh, but, yeah, I, I get, you're right. I guess my point was, was usually that – when, when Crowder's targeted that many times, still shouldn't expect those big, huge, long 50, 70 yard touchdowns because it's just not the type of player he is. But listen, opportunity is everything, right? The volume of targets is, is a lot more important than talent sometimes. Maybe not as much in football, but even at running back, if you have a good offensive line and you're getting the work, Look at somebody like Robinson in, in Jacksonville. I don't think he's particularly good, but if he's going to get another 17 carries and he's going to be cheap, then we can have that conversation. Uh, Jamison Crowder, though, limited participant yesterday's practice. We'll see what's going on for today. Uh, I think that he's probably going to play here, another hamstring injury. And then Le'Veon Bell was placed on the, the IR. I, I think Gase may have made a mistake here. Bell got hurt early in the second quarter, goes to the locker room, and then brings him back for five snaps in the third quarter where he actually gets a couple of touches uh, and then re-aggravates it or makes it even worse. Now he's on the injured reserve with, are you ready? A hamstring injury. This dude, this has to be something. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this has got to have something to do with, with the no like limited training camp and, 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 and no tre uh, preseason. It, it's so weird that all of these marquee players, these relatively big-name players, are all going down with hamstring injuries, but the floor is yours, Matt. Anything else on the Jets? Uh, I just want to reiterate your point there. I absolutely, at least anecdotally, feel like soft tissue injuries have really popped up as week one and week two has rolled around. Uh, and I do think myself I, that has to do with the fact that there was no mini camps, no regular season or no off season training programs, and this accelerated preseason with no preseason games. You don't want anything to do with the Jets running backs. You don't, you don't want anything to do with them. And I, 
I think the only saving grace for the Jets right now is that they wound up second in pace of play. Again, that's a lot because they were playing from behind and they had middle of the road aggressiveness uh, in the neutral situations they did find themselves in. They threw about 52% of the time. That's 11th in the NFL. So at least there could be volume. But if Crowder is hurt, then to whom? I guess Herndon is a volume play, is a cheap option. Again, you're looking at a GPP play only. Um, I'm not touching running backs from the Jets with a 10-foot pole. I know. And the problem with Herndon, too, lost a fumble last week. That's not the problem. Uh, but I figured I'd mention it. Six of seven receiving. 37 yards, no scores, seven targets is fine, right? A team playing from behind, they're going to force to go to the air. Uh, and now their, their ground game is going to be even more anemic with Levy on Bell's sideline. Although, I don't know, I simply wasn't buying into him anyway this season. The, the, the problem is that this team is, is they're really not good. Like, and, and yeah, they're, just, they're playing at a worse level than essentially the rest of the field as it seemed in week one, at least they're just yes. like not an NFL caliber team right now. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so yes, Hernan's cheap. Yes. He had some opportunities, but what was, what was his a dot? It was probably like four or something, you know, it just doesn't feel like there's a ton of upside. And one more thing with tight ends, how important is touchdown equity? It's so important, right? Because these guys aren't getting the same target share as other players on their team as wideouts. They're not getting the same type of opportunities as running backs who don't need to average eight yards a carry, but simply with, with, with a tight end like this, how often are they going to be in the red zone? How many five yard out opportunities is this jets team going to have against San Francisco? It just seems like a very, very narrow and difficult path for Herndon to get where you need him to go. Even at 3,400. A hundred percent. When you're looking for touchdown equity, particularly with tight ends, you have to look at the implied total and every week, the Jets tight end is going to scare you for that reason. Let's move it on here. Chicago, New York Giants. Well, Chicago Bears and Mitch Trubisky looked brutal early on. They managed to turn things around a little bit, Matt. And now you got Allen Robinson wanting out. Contract talks yeah. breaking down or really never getting started. Anthony Miller had a really strong touchdown reception, diving into the end zone or the right pylon. I love this kid. I think I think this might finally be the year where he's good, but they're going to need some help from Mitch. And if we're if we're being honest about this and, and objectively looking at his performance, sure, from a DFS perspective, I was very happy to have him in my lineups. But he was twenty for thirty six. Um, he completed only 55% of his passes uh, and he got bailed out by his pass catchers on a few instances. Now, all in all, I'll give credit where it's due. Mitchell Trubisky came around late in the game and led them to a, to a victory. And at his price point, we should all be very, very satisfied with it. it no matter how you can manufacture fantasy points, that's, that's okay with me. Um, the thing too, though, is now he comes up against the giants team that, you know, they got some reinforcements to this defense. And I read an article saying James Bradbury makes a, makes a, a great first impression. I don't know. I thought James Bradbury was just decent in this first game against, right? I mean, he was okay. He, he, he allowed two touchdowns. Uh, and if you're looking at PFS stats, uh, it actually gets a little bit worse than that. So he allowed two touchdowns and um, I can't find his yardage totals now, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He allowed, Four of seven 
four, four receptions, seven targets, 70 yards and two touchdowns. The yardage isn't too bad, but look, Bradbury wasn't great. Uh, neither were most of these corners uh, in the secondary. So does Mitch Trubisky have a shot now to do or to replicate what he did in week one against the Giants team that completely unraveled in the second half against the Steelers? They sure did. Uh, I mean, just to say again, Mitch Trubisky ended up in my cash lineup in week one. So again, we're not going to say, we're not going to sit here and say for fantasy purposes, he's unusable. But when you actually watch and you break down the numbers for NFL purposes, this really has a lot of shades. I wrote. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. Laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Down uh, here in my notes that it has shades of Blake Bortles when he was at the helm of the Jaguars offense with Allen Robinson as his underutilized number one wide receiver and number two and three options who were overplaying their own expectations as well. So for fantasy football, if we have someone who's running, we have someone who is forced to come back in the fourth quarter against a mediocre defense. Yeah, he should be an option. He should be looked to as a cheap quarterback option we can use to play great running backs and wide receivers, particularly in cash lineups. I, I completely agree with you as well. I didn't think the Steelers looked particularly explosive and they were still beating up on the Giants, particularly in the second half. Uh, the one thing I will say, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see the Bears 13th middle of the road in net expected points. So they, they did seem like a mediocre team. And if we have a quarterback that has enough attempts, 36 to 40, like he had last game, then yeah, he's viable. The only concern I had with Anthony Miller, he only was on the field for 42% of their offensive snaps. Uh, he played less snaps than, than, than Ted Ginn Jr. So yeah, he was targeted six times. His, his market share of targets wasn't terrible given that the Trubisky threw 36 times. It was what? 17, but I'd really like to see that improve. If Anthony Miller is somebody that I'm routinely going to be willing to pay uh, 5,000 plus dollars for on a team that outside of Allen Robinson really doesn't have a number two, like he should be the, the solidified number two in this offense. He really should. And I, I also have written here that I think you might want to experiment with GPP lineups that use possibly Robinson and Miller trying to capture a large amount of the target share and air yards. If you're trying to play Trubisky as well. So I completely agree. Absolutely loved Miller coming out of Memphis when he was a prospect. And uh, again, the Giants son that we're looking to move against, we still feel like they're one of the, the secondaries we can pick on in DFS. Yes, sir. Uh, looking towards the run game here, 
do you see anything that that stands out to you on on either side of this one the uh, the the Chicago Bears actually, according to PFF, have a negative nine percent uh, run blocking disadvantage, or sorry, run game run blocking disadvantage against the Giants, which I guess might be a little bit surprising to some. But David Montgomery, in the same breath, isn't exactly wooing people over to his side right now. He had a, he had a decent game. He racked up four point nine yards per attempt. Uh, on 13 carries. I think he's going to have a more improved season than last year. But with the Chicago Bears being almost touchdown fade, actually be putting biases aside and saying maybe David Montgomery is the one we should be targeting in this game. Because, Matt, I know it's crazy. I know he hasn't been good. I know he hasn't been super effective. Uh, and I know Tariq Cohen is breathing down his neck for for opportunities, uh, but most so, more so just in the passing game. This could be one of those spots where – if the Giants struggle again out of the game, Montgomery gets 20 carries and gets into the end zone twice at very low ownership. I'm at least willing to consider him. You could, you could do worse than David Montgomery. And I was particularly encouraged by the fact that All right, hold on. Did you turn it back on? Yeah, we got to get this going. All right. All right. Let's... uh. Move along here. We gotta stop using Zoom. Whatever. Uh, just let me know. If, <laughs> let me let me know if we're good. Uh, there we go. Okay. So sorry, guys. The, the on the other like you look at Benny Snell last week and and he went out there and and had 113 yards on 19 carries against the same Giants team when James Conner went down. So yeah, uh, it sounds crazy. Someone someone mentions probably good. They couldn't hear my my Montgomery take, but. They probably have a point. They, but I actually, I actually think that Montgomery is someone that we should be considering. And I'm not even asking you to agree with me. But I'm telling you right now, 1% ownership, uh, I'm there. Talk to me about the New York Giants on the other side, Matt. 
Yeah, I again, they I, I was happy with the usage of Darius Slayton. Uh, he really was used as an alpha receiver, seeing about 30% of the target share and air yard share when you combine it into weighted opportunity. So I also, as I mentioned before, think Barkley is going to be under own relative to his ability to have a 20 to 25 point game. Yes, in an anemic Giants offense, it is a lower probability than we want relative to his talent, but I'm still seeing him coming in own uh, with ownership below Jimmy Graham in this game and, you know, close to players like Tariq Cohen and his slate breaking upside is so much higher than those players. He at least has some appeal as a pivot play, particularly from those main RB ones that we're thinking of that we'll, that we'll mention later in the show. All right. I'd say with, 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 with uh, Saquon Barkley at 8,400, where you mentioned him just a moment ago, is this guy somebody that you would like to get a lot of, or are you like, okay, his ownership right now is 3.8%. Where would you be comfortable with on Saquon Barkley against this bears team? Well, I think with low, low ownership like that, you know, even if I play him in six of a hundred lineups, I'm like double the field on him. So you don't have to play him a ton in order to feel a little bit stronger than the field. I just think that in one of these situations, especially against a Bears team that could have the game get away from them if they turn the ball over, which we've certainly seen Trubisky do, if he's in a surprise second half clean up the game opportunity, Barkley thrives in those situations, and then we could see one of those uh, classic outputs from him. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia and the L.A. Rams – Philly opened as two point favorites. They've moved. They've since moved to plus one, which is probably where it should be. Plus one, plus one and a half. Miles Sanders, full participant. I'll tell you what, I, I've said it, but a lot, but this is a, this is a medical staff that was completely revamped last season and only got work. I swear to God, this entire team is injured before the season even begins every single year. Uh, and I don't know how much more of it I can take Matt. Uh, but anyway, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, Dogs here at home after a brutal loss. Carson Wentz had the lowest PFF grade of any quarterback coming out of week one. He got sacked a career worst eight times. There was nothing good to take away from that outside of the first quarter. Uh, and now you've got them going up against the Rams where the, the Rams have uh, Aaron Donald, who just throws 300 pound men to the ground. Like it's nothing. It could be another rough go. Lane Johnson is expected to play though, which will be, which will bolster that offensive line a little bit, but I still have some concerns about this one. Absolutely. And I think we do need to contextualize the poor numbers, especially the sack numbers against Wentz this first game. I think Washington's defensive front is legitimately great right now. They're playing at a really high level and they're going to, they're going to give some really strong offensive lines, some trouble as we go down the road. That said, there's no excuse to have Carson Wentz running for his life the entire game, getting walloped. They're incredibly lucky the amount of times that he was hit. I believe he was hit nine or ten times, and he didn't get hurt. They're lucky he just didn't get hurt. He was already coming in with a soft tissue injury, as we mentioned. The other problem is that he just was not accurate on deep targets. Uh, I believe this is PFF graded three of ten targets to Jackson and or Rager as catchable. 
So they were giving him looks. He threw the ball 42 times total. But when so few of them are catchable, you're going to wind up with a very, very inefficient day for all the pieces. And finally, Boston Scott was a surprise major RB pick. You can say dog shit. He was miscast as a lead back. He really profiles more as as a Darren Sproles type, as the Eagles used to love to use. But when Corey Clement is your other option, like you don't really have many alternatives. It's like Darren Sproles and Darren Sproles. That's not a running back court. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So we saw, we saw, I think one of the Eagles, we saw the Eagles at their floor. I believe they still have the talent to be a playoff team, obviously, but it just shows you how important a banged up offensive line against a ferocious defensive line is such an advantage for a defense. It is. And of the eight deep targets, passes of 20 plus yards for Carson Wentz, three of them were catchable. Uh, There was a touchdown on one to Dallas Goddard, but still that's rough. Uh, I'll I'll throw this out there. I mentioned it the other day and, and I'll continue to say it. I still think there is a ceiling here because, and there's upside still here, especially given the recency bias after last week, like Deshaun Jackson was targeted on four, he was targeted four times, 20 plus yards downfield. Only one of those balls was catchable last year. If you remember against Washington in, in week one, he was targeted several times downfield caught two fifty plus yard touchdowns. And there you go. That's simply all you need. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go back to the well here. I think Jackson's 54% snap count increases. I think Rager's does as well. Um, I, I would, I could only imagine. And by the way, Ertz and Goddard played monster snaps a piece. There's still, there's still some upside here. There's still something to like here. Uh, the question is, can Carson Wentz throw the ball away when he needs to? And two, are they going to adjust if this line is not protecting them, Matt, are, are they going to adjust and, and get the ball out of his hands quicker? Because that is one of the biggest areas of improve or of needed improvement. If you can get the ball over his hands quicker, you have playmakers. Miles Sanders is a playmaker. Boston Scott in open space. He's a playmaker too. Correct. Uh, and, and, and Dallas Goddard can get some yards after the catch. So, and you know, even, even Deshaun Jackson, like you throw it to him at bubble screens or some quick slants, same with Jalen Rager. These are some guys that can make plays and, y- and create yards after the catch. I, I'm curious if they're going to keep just launching downfield that they can't protect wins, or they're going to try to get guy balls into the hands of their playmakers in space and let them create after the reception. I, I believe I updated my matchups column for week one, saying something very similar last week. And I thought that the offensive line injuries and the injuries to Sanders meant that they would go more pass happy. And that's exactly what we saw. The thing I didn't, believe would happen is that they would be taking so many deep shots and I think if you watch the game back and you look at their offensive scheme that they tried to implement it involved a lot of short area targets to Ertz to Scott and then trying to take deep shots but it seemed like the balance was off again when you have the pass rush like Washington's breathing down your neck that's when you get incomplete uncatchable passes and we saw it over and over and over again That said, we saw a Cowboys offense, again, with a slightly more efficient quarterback in Dak Prescott, beating the Los Angeles Rams cornerbacks deep. Even Jalen Ramsey got deep or got beat deep on what was, in my opinion, the most questionable pass interference call of the week. But I I think there is some exploitability and certainly the upside if they keep taking these deep shots like they did. Yep. It's just some days it's going to be terrible. Other days they're going to connect. 
they do have the playmakers and Rager looked like he can make some big plays if given the opportunity. He's still raw. What about the Rams on the other side? Um, is there, is there any intrigue here from, uh, by the way, last week you saw, I, I just read an article talking about how, if you're going to save Baker Mayfield's career, you basically, uh, you basically have to take the Jared Goff route, right? You have to do what coach, which what uh, Sean McVay is doing and, and, and create plays, uh, create passes out of play action, get the ball out of his hands relatively quick uh, instead of just straight drop backs, making him function as a real quarterback. Uh, we saw Jared Goff struggle with that last year. We saw Baker Mayfield struggling with it last year and early this year to start it. Um, they're they're going to create easy plays for the receivers and their tight ends. Uh, and also we saw Malcolm Brown, as the bell cow back, Cam Akers got worked in. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But Brown was the more efficient back, uh, and he punched it into the end zone twice. So there's a lot to talk about with this Ram squad. Yeah, and they were surprisingly not pass happy for an offense that we, as a public, usually say is one of the more innovative, advanced teams they're actually running the ball at a very very high rate a very high first down run rate even in neutral situations and you even saw short area targets completely in my opinion overutilize the screen game to brown screen game to players like higby and also woods and it's to the detriment of former target hog cooper cup who really is being used as more of a tertiary off, uh, option in this offense now. It's, weird. It's, it's a little weird to see, but it looks like this is just the evolution of the McVay offense. It's, uh, it's almost going more old school. What did you think about the opportunities from this team last week where Robert Woods made some big plays early on? He was targeted eight times. Cooper cut, and he was, he was largely an afterthought had only two more targets than Van Jefferson. Uh, Tyler Higby, four targets. Everett, two. He got banged up. Uh, I guess they didn't really need to throw a ton, but a little bit a little bit disappointing if, if you're someone that, even in season long, you, you got Cooper Cup in the relatively early rounds. You bought into Tyler Higby. This isn't to say that they won't change things up, but uh, there's no question that they were a bit surprising in how effective they were on the ground after last year finishing 18th in, in run blocking first in run blocking in 2018 and now it appears this year they're in spots where they can they're going to really lean heavily on the run a lot of looks for Malcolm Brown and uh with with 18 carries and Cam Akers grabbing 14 attempts himself man they were ramming the ball down Dallas's throat yeah I do want to contextualize those numbers a little bit they were absolutely exploiting 
the Cowboys injuries in the linebacker core. Yeah, they got beat up bad. When when Vander Esch went down, they essentially ran it right at the middle linebackers to see what they could do. And it appeared in the second half that the Cowboys countered by just sending them, which forced the Rams into a, a slightly different offensive scheme. And it did allow the Cowboys to come back and almost win that game. But ultimately, I think we saw some inflated run numbers because of the exploitable linebacker core of the Cowboys. I'm not sure we're going to see it quite at that level. But in terms of conservatism, I think we are going to see a low dot, low pass volume team. So it really is going to be tough sledding for Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. They're going to have to break tackles or get a huge amount of targets in the short game to, in order to really hit in DFS. The Philadelphia Eagles, if there's one bright spot, it's that their run defense is still strong. They, they can still clog up lanes. They're still going to make life difficult on opposing backs. This has been the, th- the, the this has been a way for the past couple of years. Uh, I think there's still plenty of weaknesses in that secondary. A couple of, I mean, their corners are, are average at best. I'm not going to look at someone in Dwayne Haskins and gauge their performance based on that. Uh, I think it could be tougher sledding for him here, but I'm just not interested in, in Rams running backs this week. Uh, just to, to wrap this game up, is there anything we hit on? And are you playing Rams running? I, I just don't see why you would want to get to these guys unless you think Cam Akers is going to have a, a game at 4,500. But I think there are much better options. Yeah, we did see Cam Akers break, of, uh, I believe, four avoided tackles via PFF. So we saw him on limited usage. We saw the elusivity that we thought he would have coming out of Florida State, who, by the way, the Florida State offensive line that he was running behind was just atrocious, always being blown up. So one thing I will say is I believe that there is some home run ability in Akers to even take a broken play and turn it into a huge chunk of yards. Okay. So – if we keep this train moving here and no, no promo codes right now, but we will have uh, promos very shortly. Just keep your eyes out. We just did the red zone target. It was half off a week. Uh, we did bogey. That was half off a week at PGA. We're always trying to get stuff out there. So you guys can check out awesome. Uh, and see if you like it, which normally the answer always comes back as yes. I love it because you have the ownership, the projections, the top stack tool, the lineup builder, all of our premium articles, the fantasy cruncher add on, which is, which is huge, uh, and all of that good stuff. So if you haven't checked it out, go to awesomeo.com slash join. And when you, be, when you click begin membership, we'll ask you what type of a player you are, uh, whether it's serious, hobbyist, professional, uh, and we'll cater that to you. So maybe you want the Express Weekly Pass or the All Access Annual. Uh, I think the All Access Monthly is, is the best one out there. Uh, would highly recommend you checking that one out because it'll give you access to every single sport. NFL, NBA, MLB, NASCAR, PGA, everything. And look, these are the same projections and ownership and top stack tools that Alex Baker uses himself. He built these. He uses them. We don't just throw his name on it. These are the real deal, uh, which has helped him win millions of dollars uh, and so many of our subs to have phenomenal outcomes as well. You can check it out at the awesome.com Hall of Fame page where all of them have made a ton of money and you can even check it out on the screen as well. I know the audio is a little bit off, but you get the point. Anyway, awesome.com slash join. Check out all of the subscriptions. We've got something for everyone. Uh, there's no better time to jump in right now with NBA and baseball still going, PGA in full swing, and of course, football heading into week two. Awesome.com slash join. 
All right. Um, I shredded pieces. Lafayette's an Eagles fan. Yeah, but I'm also the I'm also the most pessimistic Eagles fan out there. Like I, I thought said, of you as the, he was getting pummeled in that in that game on Sunday. Oh yeah, just brutal, Matt. Horrible. No, I, I, I'm I'm realistic. I, I think you'd be crazy not to think that there's some upside because they have the speed and they're built to break off huge plays. Uh, but there's also the fact that if Carson Wentz is missing those throws and he's inaccurate, you're not going to get anything from those guys. Super. Super uh, perfect example of the ceiling, high ceiling, low floor players pretty much scattered across this, this team. Okay, Tennessee and Jacksonville. Jacksonville destroying lives in survivor pools last week. Man, what a surprise that was. Coming in as seven and a half, eight point dogs, winning outright. They're nine point dogs again this week, 42 point total. Uh, we'll kick it off with with the Tennessee Titans on the other side of this, though, and I will let you know. I will remind you. Yes, Derrick Henry is not someone, or I should say, no, Derrick Henry is not someone that is featured heavily as a pass catcher. However, he might have 40 fantasy points this week. Look, he had 116 yards last week, only 3.7 yards per attempt, but he carried the ball 31 times. They just kept feeding him, no matter what. Derrick Henry kept getting fed. And that's in a game where Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 43 times. So he threw 43 times and Henry still had 31 attempts going up against now a Jacksonville team that has lost key members of that, uh, uh, that defensive line to, to trades and free agency. All I know is that he should be more expensive than this. $7,900 on DraftKings to me is still too cheap. He's going to get ownership for sure, but I could see a three touchdown, 150 yard game here. And I wouldn't be shocked, Matt. 100%. And so what two, two of the things that you mentioned there, one Tannehill threw it so many times on top of Henry's runs. Exactly. That means that the pace of play for Tennessee is actually quite high. And that's a little bit masked right now because they only scored 16 points in their win. So if you're going to have a high pace of play and you're going to have a bell cow back, you're looking at somebody who is eventually going to overachieve their expectation, maybe even with touchdown upside. We've seen that before with Henry against the Jaguars many times before. The one thing I will add is that next-gen stats actually graded Henry quite poorly. They, In terms of yardage expectation per rush or a total yardage expectation, he actually had minus 36 yards. As you mentioned, his yards per carry was nothing to write home about. So he basically left yardage on the ground in relation to his volume there. And the Titans entire offense left points on the board compared to how they want to play. I, I still think Henry is a locked in running back one. One of the things you might see is some inflated ownership simply because it's Derrick Henry versus the Jaguars. And that's just becoming this like theme. He had the 99 yard run against them. He's had four touchdowns, 238 yard games against them. It's just something where people, the casual fan may say, Derrick Henry always beats up on the Jaguars, leading to some inflated numbers in ownership. I think it will. Uh, but I also think there's no reason Derrick Henry shouldn't beat up on the Jaguars. There are some pivots for sure. But this is one where I'm okay to, to eat the chalk. There's just, there's the, the likelihood that they're playing from behind is very, very low. They don't have Deion Lewis anymore either. So, Derrick Henry actually was used a little bit. He ran 20 routes in this game, Matt. You know, that's for somebody that has 31 touches. 
I can get on board with you giving me, you know, run 20 routes, have three or four targets per game. Yeah, I, I can live with that. Do you have any takes on uh, the pass catchers for Tennessee? Yeah, don't be too concerned about A.J. Brown. They absolutely tried to scheme him open in the second half. And, you know, I will give credit to the new look Monday night football crew. They seemed much more locked and loaded than the I don't want to, I don't want to say anything poor about anything, but they really seemed ready and prepared for the Monday night game. And they were talking about AJ Brown beating his man, getting open downfield and Tannehill, just not seeing him, not throwing him the ball. That said, he still commanded just as much volume as Corey Davis, who had a wonderful game for his standards, but most of those plays were underneath passes, clear secondary option type plays, short area passes. And they also got Johnny Smith, and Michael Pruitt involved. Like you said, the real bell cow upside for Derrick Henry comes if he can get those couple of receptions on top of that insane workload and maybe a few goal line carries here and there. But most most of all, I'm looking for A.J. Brown to get some sort of back bounce back game, but I'm all for Corey Davis breakout. I was huge on him coming out of school. He's disappointed so many fantasy and DFS owners over the years, but it's not like he, he wasn't highly touted as a, a prospect and – He'd certainly put it together for week one. I want to throw one thing out there. CJ Henderson, uh, rookie cornerback for Jacksonville, had an outstanding, outstanding game. Was tar- yeah, was targeted 10 times, allowed only 58 yards. Um, he, uh, the uh, Phillip Rivers passer rating when targeting him was 28. 28 on 10 targets. So, look, it's only one game, understandably so. I get it. I'm not going to overreact too much. But I thought what you saw out of Henderson was was really impressive. And it's probably something we pay a little bit of attention to going forward because right now everyone's looking at this Jacksonville team as beat him up everywhere, doesn't matter. If he starts shadowing players, you know, and we start to see that, maybe there will be certain spots to avoid with Jacksonville. But as of now, I, I don't think we can really put it, make a decision there quite yet. Correct. I definitely want to add that James Robinson is getting the kind of usage and has the price that he's always in consideration right now. And he didn't run poorly at all. So I know that's the other side of the field, but I do feel like that's definitely worth mentioning in this game. I saw the same thing you did regarding CJ Henderson. He made the game winning pass breakup and rivers kind of looked like he, he didn't know what hit him. He thought he had a sure completion. So even that kind of vividness bias uh, plus the, the solid defensive stats for him, Maybe it's something where we start looking at wide receiver ones having a tougher matchup than we think against the Jaguars. How about the Jacksonville Jaguars on this side? Offensively, James Robinson saw all 16 target or all 16 running back carries. Chenault had a couple, Minshew ran a few times, but James Robinson was the primary back, actually exclusively the running back getting the work on the ground for Jacksonville. Uh, Chris Thompson didn't see a single carry on the, uh, on the, on the ground either. Uh, James Robinson is $4,400, not a terrible price point. It's a Tennessee matchup that mm, it's, I'd say it's, it's middle of the road. Uh, Melvin Gordon had some success against them last week. He did fumble the football once, put it on the ground, which wasn't great, but he averaged 5.2 yards per attempt. Philip Lindsay, before he got injured in this late night, Monday night football affair was seven for 24, not great, but all in all, 
they did they did run rather effectively against Tennessee. Can can James Robinson get where we need him to go at this price, knowing that he was the featured back? Yep, a hundred percent. He really can get there. Will he get there? Well, of course, he has a lower probability than some of the other backs that are higher priced. But because he hasn't been priced up compared to the amount of usage he'll get, even in a slow-paced, low-volume offense like Jacksonville's, you still have to consider him for all the optionality you get with the other items in your lineup. So it is something, like you said, that Tennessee is not is middle of the road in terms of guarding against the rush. And it could be something where we find Minshew efficient, effective, a little bit more than we thought. But even when he's only throwing 20 passes, if he's going to throw three TDs, that means he's getting to the end zone enough times for a bell cow back to plunge into the end zone one time, hitting pay dirt at that price. Do you have any interest in, in Shark or, I mean, it's pretty much it, right? I don't think we yeah. need to get into to any other options here. With such a low volume and a slower pace of play, they're really going to have to catch a touchdown in order to be great. Chenault's use. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In terms of pre-stamp motion and plays designed for him, for a rookie, that was very exciting to see. He did get into the end zone. But again, we're talking about low volume and a slow pace and a team that's not expected to get in the end zone all that often. Hopefully, we see Minshew sort of increase that volume and keep that efficiency. Then we'll, we'll sing a different tune. But for now, they really have to get a touchdown. Yes, they certainly do. Guess we can keep this one moving. I was trying to look at uh, the pace of play in this game. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so seconds per play, Jacksonville was the second slowest pace in the league behind uh, New England last week. Tennessee, though, um, that, that was a pretty crazy one, right? 23.9 seconds per play. 32.5 for, for Jacksonville. What a big difference that is, right? Uh, all in all, though, I, I think you mentioned if you're Tannehill and you're throwing 43 times and Henry has 31 carries, that's a lot of plays. That's a lot of plays. So maybe it benefits somebody like – maybe it benefits the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, especially if they're going to play from behind and have to create some – manufacture some points because they never really were in jeopardy of losing that game last time out. Okay, Tampa Bay and Carolina. Let's move to this one. A lot to talk about here. Tom Brady, uh, disappointing in his first game, but if you really go back and look at everything, he wasn't as bad uh, as, as some of those surface statistics would suggest. He wasn't great. 
He wasn't terrible either. Mike Evans clearly was not at 100%, and we saw that in the results and both uh, as he played on the field. He was limited in practice yesterday. Chris Godwin didn't participate in practice at all because he was in concussion protocol. I'm going to start it off with Ronald Jones. Last time ownership was updated, his, his ownership was super low, uh, and unfortunately it has come up since then to 12%. I'm still okay with it, Matt. Uh, he, Bruce Arians kept his word. Ronald Jones was the guy. He was that bell cow back. We saw him get a lot of opportunities despite the fact that they were playing from behind. Now they're nine-and-a-half-point favorites at home, and he's probably going to have the bulk of opportunities in a game where they're playing with the lead. 5200 to me is just too cheap of a price tag on, on Ronald Jones against the Carolina run defense that graded out dead last in the league against Ron or against uh, Josh Jacobs and the Raiders in week one. There's nothing not to like for me here. Yeah, that, that well said. And if you're a Bucks fan, they better be in that winning situation because this is the ultimate get right game script for this Bucks offense. The Panthers were just completely beat up by Josh Jacobs. And even Derek Carr ended up with a top 10 games in terms of drive per, drive efficiency in week one against them. I think, like we said with the Vikings, this is going to be a defense both through the air and on the ground that we pick on and look for good matchups against early on in the season. And fundamentally, it's a great spot for a running back. So even with slightly inflated ownership, I really like Ronald Jones this week. You could take a dart throw with Leonard Fournette, but all the high leverage touches essentially went to Jones in that first week. It's his job to lose. Do you have any thoughts on the pass catchers, assuming everybody plays this week? Yeah, uh, I think my projection for this game really shifts if Godwin can't go, just because he has such a, a locked-in target and air yard share. If he does go, I kind of suspect that he'll have his typical workload, although I think it is worth mentioning that we saw Brady spread the ball out more than we really expected to the detriment of players like Mike Evans. Now, I think there will be game scripts where he relies more heavily on Godwin and Evans, but I worry about a pass-catching core that is an injured Mike Evans, uh, old Rob Gronkowski, and that means you're relying on Scotty Miller and O.J. Howard to make your, uh, your athleticism plays downfield. That's not e exactly your perfect offense. And Brady, it looked like he was out of sync. It looked like option routes were being run in a way that he didn't expect. It just looked like they needed more time. It looked a little bit like a preseason game. So what that leads me to believe is that he needs a slightly easier opponent so that he can get his reps in. And all of a sudden we see those, those missed communication plays turn into big gains like we've seen in the past. Yep. Good points. And this is not a, uh, this is not an offense that he's really used to running. He's been in the league for 20 years or whatever, but I think it'll definitely take some adjusting. There is more upside, though, with Brady, assuming everyone's healthy. Last year, he had no real deep targets. Nikhil Harry doesn't count, right? He was injured or he was a rookie playing well over his head. Jacoby Myers, like, there wasn't anybody there. Now you've got several players. Even throw in O.J. Howard, who has deep ball, uh, deep ball stuff that can get downfield and create some separation. I, I look at this team and say, Ronald Jones I really like regardless uh, if if the pass if if you have injuries whether Evans or Godwin is out, I, Ronald Jones is probably going to be leaned on even heavier. Uh, I pr I prefer everyone to be healthy though because then 
Carolina can't start selling out to stop uh, them on the ground. Not to say they would against Brady, but it's possible. All in all, Brady still attempted a decent amount of throws downfield, which was really good to see. Uh, you didn't see a lot of that last year. He was throwing the deep ball, and a couple of them he got pass interference calls on, connected on one or two. Uh, maybe one or two were uncatchable, but as long as he's going to do that to guys that are some of the best receivers in the league, then he's going to have some real high upside. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang, I wouldn't be too worried about last week. Uh, I think we're going to see this turnaround. And while there's going to be some popularity here, I certainly do like Tampa Bay a lot. Carolina, Matt, last week, 34-30 loss to the uh, Las Vegas Rams. Christian McCaffrey went ahead and did his thing again. But if you're playing him, you're paying a premium. And it, it might not necessarily be the best way to go about things, knowing that there are so many good running back plays on this slate. Uh, and Tampa Bay defensively are really stout on the ground. Now, McCaffrey's probably going to do everything he needs to do to get where he needs to go because that's what he does, and he's the best running back from a fantasy perspective in all of football. But I want to talk about DJ Moore for a little bit. He's somebody that running back with any form of Tampa Bay stack actually makes quite a bit of sense to me. Uh, and Moore was, was disappointing last game. I get that, but he's fantastic. Carlton Davis is probably going to be sticking him in this one. I'm not super concerned about that. This could be a big game for DJ Moore. That's where I'm looking right now. Talk to me about where you stand on the Panthers. Yeah, I actually have the Panthers listed here as one of the stacks that I'm going to use this weekend. As of now, I was really impressed with Teddy Bridgewater's accuracy, but he threw for more passes. I thought that the Joe Brady offense might have him use use the passing game more than we'd seen him in new Orleans. And he threw 34 times. The other part I was really excited about was that they all essentially went to his playmakers. It was always going to DJ Moore, to Robbie Anderson, to Curtis Samuel or Christian McCaffrey. In fact, when you look at percentage of targets and percentage of air yards, combine that into one metric. And then you condense that offense into two or three people the Panthers are right there at the top of the NFL after one week. They're using their playmakers almost exclusively. And I know Anderson was the one who had the big game, the big touchdown run, but DJ Moore was targeted in the end zone on a quick slant route and he just missed it. And he had the same amount of targets as Anderson. Still the complete alpha in this game. And if you're running it back with a Tampa stack, I absolutely love it. Anything else for Carolina? I mean, what is there left to say about CMC? He did have one poor game against Tampa Bay last year. They did shut him down. The identity of a Todd Bowles defense is to stop the run first, regardless of how uh, rational or irrational that may be in the modern NFL. So there is a possibility that at 10K, he comes in way over-owned compared to the probability of him being a bust. That said, I'm not fading Christian McCaffrey, are you? Uh, in tournaments, probably. That's fair. That's definitely fair in tournaments. You just move away from him entirely. Yeah. And, and look, I, I want to be clear by fading Christian McCaffrey. I just mean, I'll be, I'll be below the field. I would imagine okay. uh, his ownership is always going to be relatively high. It's not nearly what it was last week. And I'm assuming in game stacks, I'm going to get a decent amount of him, but by D now, you know what? Maybe not a decent amount. I don't know. I, 
we'll keep moving on here and we'll talk about some of these other running backs that just stand out as spectacular plays. Uh, we've mentioned it so many times, but like last year and Kyle brought this up again that we talked about last week, last year, once Christian McCaffrey got above 10 K, there was one week where you needed him to win. And he only had 17 fantasy points that week. And it basically was just because rostering McCaffrey funneled you into a specific build. So uh, mm. yeah, I'm, I, in cash, sure, but I, I don't think I don't think I need to get there this week in, in tournaments. He's just so expensive. Let's talk about Pittsburgh and Denver, though. Steelers got off to a little bit of a slow start. Ben Roethlisberger shaking off some rust and then came on strong. They ended up winning that game with with relative ease. Facing a Denver team now that look, I'm very high on Noah Fant. I was very happy to see that that, that he produced well. Uh, especially when he was used, it kind of went away from him late in that game. And Vic Fangio is an idiot, but uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> made an idiotic move late in the game, not calling timeouts. First note I have, I, I inexplicable. We we I certainly didn't make this up, but we we consider the laws of rational coaching. We assume coaches are going to make decisions that make sense to the typical viewer. Didn't happen. Exactly. Continue. <laughs> And I want to give Drew, Bro Drew, Drew Locke a little bit of a break here because that game could have been iced away. He wasn't great, right? Tennessee defensively is, is good enough, and he wasn't great. But if Jerry Judy held on to that perfect throw for a first down late in the fourth quarter, not only do I win my alternate spread line of minus two and a half taking the Tennessee Titans, uh, I, I had them in another bucket at plus two and a half too. So I, I covered that, but... I got good odds somewhere else at minus two and a half. I thought they'd win that game. They should have. They should have, Matt, because Jerry Judy dropped the first down. That could have put the game away. They could have kicked the field goal there and called it a day. But it didn't happen, and here we are. But uh, I don't expect this to be a high-scoring game. I have a lot of respect for Denver's run defense. When you can limit Derrick Henry to 3.7 yards and actually tackle this man in the backfield, no one else can do that, at least not many teams. I'm just not enamored with this game as a whole, but I, I guess it's only fair that we talk about some discount pricing on guys like Melvin Gordon and such. Yeah. I think if you were going to look at the slate and say, which games are, am I going to cross off as the lowest probability of going off into a big shootout? This might be one of them. I, I, I personally feel like the Denver Broncos offense is still one that just isn't going to be putting up a lot of points on a consistent basis. As you mentioned, they did utilize Noah Fant early on in the game. He had a wonderful touchdown catch. But ultimately, I still think that we're going to see them with somewhere between 17 and 24 implied points all the time. And that, it, that ultimately means that they're going to have to have a lot of volume to one player. I, I also see the Steelers as a team that at any point, they could turn on the, the 2018 switch and really have an offensive explosion that could lead you to this game sneakily shooting out. But as we mentioned earlier in the broadcast, they looked sloppy in the first quarter. Roethlisberger looked like he was a quarterback that hadn't played in a year. And it looked like some busted coverage led to some easy scores. And that essentially put the game away, made it easy for them. So where are you going in this game? I, if anywhere, feel free to say it's just not one you're looking to target. We got to talk about Benny Snell at 4,500. If James Conner doesn't play, then we can certainly look to him as a home favorite running back under 5K. We can do a lot of things with our lineups from that point. 
he had over 100 yards on the ground. And if he's going to be receiving the lion's share of a, of a team that scores over 24 points in a game, then he's definitely someone we have to consider at that point. I, I think maybe I'll have a little Melvin Gordon in tournaments, especially with the Philip Lindsay injury, ensuring that he has that extra workload. But from there, maybe a little Deontay Johnson, who had more of the opportunity of the, the past game air yards and target share compared to Juju, even though Juju had the touchdowns. It's just one that I, I'm probably going to be underweight, and it does, looking at the ownership, look like the field is too. What about the fact that A.J. Boye is out of this game? He was, he was clearly somebody that was doing a phenomenal job in week one. Uh, top corner there. They no longer have Harris. I, should, we be, should we be looking? Uh, Ojemudia, by the way, had a really solid game. Should have had that interception that got called back on a defensive penalty. But uh, I, I think he's going to be impressive, and I would at least consider that. But should we be, should we be talking about maybe the secondary uh, without him, without Boye, that, that makes a difference here? Yeah, I, I think it's as simple as a team without Von Miller without already Chris Harris having left in free agency and without AJ Boye is different as an identity. And they probably, uh, they probably aren't as strong defensively. I just believe that's, that is mostly built in to the spread right now. And so we're already looking at a team that probably should be about a touchdown underdog. And that's why I'm looking towards the Steelers offense, particularly their running back if underpriced. Okay. People talk about Melvin Gordon. I understand it, but I, I, I'll be completely honest with you. This Pittsburgh run defense, their front seven scares the hell out of me. I think they're extremely good. I mean, Saquon Barkley, I, I, I can't place all the blame on the offensive line and, t- and absolve Barkley of everything, but by the time he touched the ball, there were four or five defenders around it, like four or five yellow and black jerseys. So uh, I, I'd be a little bit worried about this if I'm Denver. I, I just don't know if the if the ceiling is there for Melvin Gordon to really excel in a spot like this. Not to mention you're also touchdown, almost touchdown dogs. It just doesn't add up well enough for me. Again, much rather go to Ronald Jones at the same exact price. Dallas and Atlanta. And I get the ownership difference, but sometimes somebody might be low owned for a very good reason. And I think with Melvin Gordon, that's the case. Mm-hmm. Dallas and Atlanta, Matt, let's keep this train rolling. Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, and a spread of four points. The Dallas Cowboys, sorry, four and a half point favorites, 53 point total. It's the highest on this slate. You're going to get an excessive amount of ownership right now for the Dallas Cowboys, for the, uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. But the, the ownership for the Cowboys is going to be insane. We already know that with our initial run, it's insane. Uh, they're, the ownership here in our top stack tool at awesome.com is the highest of any team. Although they also have the highest top stack probability at 10.1%. So there, there is also some value. That's why usually the, the highest probability team has lower value. They have the highest value. They have the highest top stack probability and the highest ownership, pretty unique situation. You don't see that very often with any sport. Wow. Yeah. And I think there's good reason it, it's a game that has one of the highest over-unders on the slate. It has exploitable defensive backs on both sides of the ball. Huge playmakers who don't even need a lot of volume to break open a game, but are receiving the requisite volume in order to be smash plays in cash or in tournaments. And 
the one name I would like to add that you wouldn't think of as the big receivers on either team is Russell Gage, who saw a huge amount of targets, albeit a little bit later in the game for Atlanta. But he was clearly used as the third option on that offense ahead of Hayden Hurst. So if you want to get exposure to this game at low ownership, he's coming in at 3.8% compared to the big time stars like Cooper Gallup and Zeke well ahead of 15%. Same with Julio Jones and CD lamb, even right there with them. Great call gauge Jones and Ridley all had 12 targets last time out. Who would have expected that there's going to be some regression, no doubt. Like he's not going to pace their, their workload all season long. But the fact that he was involved does say a decent amount. He also had two looks inside the red zone. That's two less than Ridley, but one more than Julio Jones. Uh, yeah, Russell Gage is always somebody that that will will disappoint. But if he in a in a super high passing volume offense, then we know that's Matt Ryan. We know that's the Falcons. There's reason to look towards him. I'm with you here. Uh, Matt Ryan threw 54 times last game. This is going to be another high-scoring affair. The Dallas Cowboys, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, the Dallas Cowboys, when we were talking about the Rams, Cowboys are dealing with myriad injuries right now. We still don't know who's going to be ready or who's going to be out, but they could be in some trouble for sure. Um, the running game for Atlanta is I – don't, I don't know what to make of this, Matt. I'm still not sold on, on Melvin Gordon – or I'm sorry, on Todd Gurley. Just not there yet. Seattle defensively, that's a, that's a mediocre matchup, but I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned with him. The, the biggest question is if we go back to the Dallas Cowboys injury questions uh, that they had at linebacker and other positions, if certain players are out, like, do we have news on what's Van, what's Van Der Esch's timetable? Oh, it's, it's a broken collarbone. It's six so he's out weeks. for, yeah. for what? eight to 12 weeks or something. Yeah. They said this season, but it's going to be later for sure. It's the full. Se- okay. So Vander is out. Who else did they have injured? They had a couple injuries. I can't remember all the specific. Sean games. Lee also went to IR as well. And usually Lee, he's so, the one who fills in. Right. Exactly. Uh, maybe that benefits Gurley and, and maybe Atlanta looks to take a similar approach as, as the Rams did. But I think that the, 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 the run pass ratio will still be, uh, skewing towards the past because their defense just isn't very good. Yeah, I actually have Gurley written down as uh, my note here is don't be afraid to play him. <laughs> and I think it's because the game script and the game environment has so many ways where both running backs on either team, as you, if you're getting enough usage in a game like this, you're going to be valuable for fantasy football. And so at only 6.3% ownership at 6,100, he's a mid-tier running back that I think it, it's almost exactly like you said, Dave, there's this public bias against where it really doesn't feel good to play him. And yet there are a lot of ways you could see the slate breaking in a way that's just positive for Gurley, even on a mediocre efficiency day. He just gets the requisite workload. Maybe there's 90 passes in this game. That's not out of the question. And so maybe there's, it's just a straight volume play until, until the wheels fall off. I'll give you guys out there that are liking Todd Gurley a, a, a little bit of encouragement here. Game script comes into play right depending on the direction that game is going we we, we want to know was there a reason they were phased out was there a reason they got more work so in this game Todd Gurley had three four five six seven eight nine 
10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14 looks in the first half. All right. 14 looks in the first half. Uh, I think 10 carries and four targets. Then in the third quarter, he had five looks. Okay. Four carries, one target. He was not used again once in the fourth quarter. Now, naturally, you're going to say, well, why? That sucks. He should be. He should be featured more in the passing game. Well, they were playing with a deficit. The game got out of control. They had to throw on pretty much every down. If this game stays closer, Matt, it stands to reason that if Gurley had 14 carries in three quarters, uh, really three and a half quarters, you could be staring down a 20-carry game for the first time in a while. Yeah, 20 attempts or 20 opportunities, I should say, in a huge game total is not ever a running back we're going to cross off our list. You know, it's just something where we have to consider him. It doesn't feel good. I certainly would rather have Ridley or Jones in my lineup, especially when we assume that it's going to be a back and forth game. But at the same time, this, these are the types of tournament pivots that can help people win a lot of money. So I think it's definitely something to consider here. Yeah, and look, I still don't think he has that same explosiveness, the same burst as he has before, but that's okay. That's okay. If, if you're giving me the, 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 you know, his elusive rating was zero in according to pro football focus in game. Is that, one. Is that good? Yeah, that's fantastic. No, uh, it's not great. Yards at yards per yards. Sorry. Yards, um, yards after contact per attempt. Todd Gurley was 34th out of 46 players that saw at least seven attempts. So, no, that was not great. But if the opportunities are there, we'll run with it. Wrap this game up on either side. Anything we missed, Matt, and we'll move on. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys offense is certainly one that could ignite at any moment. Amari Cooper comes in with sky-high ownership for a reason. And I just have to say this. I'm sure it will get slightly better for the Atlanta defense. But I saw just a ridiculous quote from their defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, who uh, he said that he didn't take he didn't take the Seattle passing game seriously and focused on stopping the Seattle run. And I I genuinely am concerned for the rationality of a coach who thinks that they need to focus on stopping Chris Carson, who, by the way, they didn't stop rather than Russell Wilson. I'm just genuinely confused at how that comes up as a game plan. And it's the same thing this week. If they say, okay, we're three quarterback in the league and you're not worried about what he can do to you. Uh, And if they say something along the same lines this week, and we have to sell out to stop Ezekiel Elliott, they're going to get gashed by Gallup Cooper and, and Lamb. It's really that simple. If they sell out like that. Now, it might be a situation where they swing back the other way too hard because of how badly Wilson beat them through the air. And that might be a great way to play it. Zeke Elliott, probably the most touches in this game, third most ownership. Good stuff, Matt. Yeah, I I really like this game. I'm aware of the ownership. And maybe in your in your stacks, maybe in your Cowboys Atlanta stacks, you find ways to be different elsewhere with some of your one-offs, right? That might be the move here. Uh, Gallup played 96% of snaps last game, Cooper 94, even CD lamb got 80, uh, 82% of snaps. No other receiver played more than three snaps. Cedric Wilson, Noah Brown played three each 
So it's these three guys out there. Now Blake Jarwin hits the IR. So you've got Dalton Schultz, who is not exactly a legitimate threat uh, as a pass catcher. And Ezekiel Elliott, who will be worked in a little bit. But uh, Dak Prescott, if they do feature uh, these receivers and, and they do uh, provide a, a heavy aerial attack against Atlanta, a lot of these receivers like Cooper and Gallup and and Lamb are going to justify that, are actually going to, to warrant that same ownership. Uh, Amari Cooper, I said it, he disappears way too much for me. I think he's a fantasy fraud because he's not consistent. Uh, but he's going to have a huge game once a year. He has a 200 point, he has a 200 yard game in three straight seasons. Now, not many players can say that he will have some big games. I'm willing to take some shots. I just might be under the 25, 30% that he's currently coming in at, uh, and maybe look towards a little bit more Gallup. I think his ownership will continue to separate from Gallup's throughout the week. All right. Uh, we good to move on Matt. Yeah, I just wanted to add that I think that's a completely fair take. The Rams clearly thought the same thing as they focused on having Jalen Ramsey, their number one cornerback. He spent the most time on Gallup, not Cooper. Right? Yeah, interesting. Gallup's going to be – I really like I really like Michael Gallup. And if you were to compare their, their, their uh, production from last year, Gallup uh, was – basically Amari Cooper's equal. He played two fewer games and he had a big one to, to end the season with three touchdowns, but all in all, like, he didn't have nearly as many games where he was only hauling in four or fewer receptions. He was actually more consistent in Cooper. Uh, I don't know if he has the same ceiling, but don't be afraid to go to Michael Gallup over Amari Cooper. There, there's, there, I'm telling you right now, there's not a big difference. And by the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Gallup is the wide receiver one. And like you said, your Ramses and, and such, and, and your Humphreys are, 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 are shadowing him instead of Amari Cooper. Wouldn't shock me. Anyway, we got to speed this up. Well, actually, we're okay. We got to one. The uh, NFL DFS FanDuel strategy show is coming up next. Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak going to hit on everything FanDuel. Be sure to stick around. Minnesota and Indiana. Hey, Matt, I'll tell you, this is going to be a rough go for Minnesota unless they can fix up this pass coverage. I think it's going to be an issue. They're three-point dogs, 48-and-a-half-point total. The, the Colts will start with the passing game. We can talk Hines and, and Jonathan Taylor. But uh, Phillip Rivers last week, really disappointing loss. But the guy still threw for 363 yards. Uh, the deep ball, once again, was, was, was underwhelming. But that's what you get at this stage of the game for Rivers. Uh, all in all, they were not afraid to throw the football, and the yardage was still there. Now they have to punch it in the end zone. So what are we doing with guys like T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell? Yeah, starting the passing game, I think the most positive thing for the Indianapolis team was, was the emergence of Paris Campbell. We really saw him as a favorite of of Phillip Rivers. I was like, we're talking about the Colts. should be the Chargers. Still not used to it. But Rivers really, really targeted Campbell, especially when he got open underneath. And that was to the detriment a little bit of T.Y. Hilton. We did get a little bit of our prediction right last week where we said the pass volume would certainly be there for Rivers, but the, the A dot of that would start to go down. And that's exactly what we saw. The accuracy to me just doesn't seem like it, it is the same Rivers as we used to see indicative by that last play where CJ Henderson previously mentioned was able to get in on a ball that was thrown behind the receiver and make a game winning play. Uh, the one thing I will add is that 
there's been so much chatter, particularly in best ball season, about Phillip Rivers targeting his running backs. And now that we have this two-headed monster instead of the three-headed monster that it was going to be with Marlon Mack, these running backs are going to get so many looks in the passing game. So I understand essentially it's the first week that Jonathan Taylor comes into this theoretical workhorse load, work workhorse workload, and he he's going to be highly owned. I'm seeing the ownership projections almost at 22% right now. I might be okay being underweight on him and still thinking he has massive upside in this game, particularly and going forward. Frank Reich seemed to really like Naeem Hines last game. I, I'm with you. There's there's no denying that Taylor is going to be the the quote-unquote lead back, or as Frank Reich said, he will step into the uh, starting role, which always scares me because you're not really saying much. Now, you drafted right. him in the early second round. Of course, Jonathan Taylor uh, is going to get a ton of opportunities. Reich also said that he's ready, uh, but he said that Hines will still be a big part of the offense, and I don't think that is coach speak. Now, I'm not interested in paying 5K plus for Naeem Hines, but I just want to throw it out there that if Naeem Hines ends up seeing another 15 looks in this game, I would not be shocked. Uh, I, I think Reich wants to continue using him, and while, Jay, while, while Jonathan Taylor was also very solid uh, in the passing game, 6 of 6 receiving for, for 67 yards, very impressive. He even had a 35-yard run. I think they like what they have with this two-headed monster here and probably would have functioned with a three-headed monster if Marlon Mack never got injured. Yeah, and you have to wonder how much of Philip Rivers' time in San Diego slash Los Angeles, he was building up the running backs because they were so talented. And of course, people like LaDainian Tomlinson and Darren Sproles were. But this is a quarterback who has consistently made two running backs fantasy relevant week to week sometimes in situations where we can play them both, not on the same lineup, but play them both at the same time in certain lineups and feel like we have a certain amount of upside there, especially if Hines is getting the type of workload through the air that we saw in week one and gets a goal line look or two like he saw. He's, of course, playable. I agree with you. He's just a little overpriced. Yep. Uh, last game, snap count-wise, Naeem Hines led the team with 53%. Again, I think you could see things change. They were forced to adjust on the fly. I'm not going to read too much into that at all. Uh, but Hines also had six opportunities, six looks in the red zone to Taylor's four. Very simply, my point is just that don't think Hines gets phased out of this offense. It's not going to happen. Uh, Minnesota. So last week, Garner Minshew basically uh, completed every pass he attempted outside of one. He went 19. He only attempted 20, by the way, but mm -hmm. uh, 19 to 20 for three touchdowns, no interceptions, 173 yards. This game could end up being a, a monster shootout. I, I really think this could be a, a shootout on both sides. I'm loving it for stack purposes, but I also want to figure out ways to get away from, from some of the chalk. And if you if you uh, let me just sort for these teams. So ownership right now, outside of Jonathan Taylor, we're looking at, at pretty limited ownership for Thielen seven percent, Doyle at seven percent, Campbell six eight, Hilton right at ten percent. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, Matt, but what I saw from each of these teams last week, it sure seemed like they have a lot of weaknesses in the passing game. Yeah, just looking at these 
uh, ownership projections, I'm actually shocked that we're not seeing higher ownership for Adam Thielen relative to his massive, massive workload in the passing game. We're talking about a player who was used essentially like DeAndre Hopkins and, and Devontae Adams on the, on the Packers. This is, this is the alpha receiver that you could have gotten in the third round of best ball drafts. And I think he's severely underpriced relative to his role in this offense. Beyond Dalvin Cook, this is really Adam Thielen's passing game. So if you're looking for a Colt stack, I, I think Adam Thielen, especially with lower ownership, could certainly be a great run it back candidate this week. Yes, sir. I think this whole game is, is really appealing, just really appealing on all fronts. One of my favorite, it, 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 we just both said it. If ownership stays this low and Taylor's the only guy hauling in any real double digit numbers, I, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine getting away from this in tournaments. Like this could end up being one of those games. It's 38 to 35. Uh, and if you don't have it, you're pretty upset. The yeah, next game, however, Matt, yeah. Buffalo and Miami, we're not singing that same song at all. Miami, six-point dogs here, a 41-point total. I mean, there's just not a lot. And if you want me to give you even more reason to potentially stay away from something like this, the Miami backfield last week was was an absolute mess. You had Miles Gaskin getting most of the snaps. Matt Breida and Jordan Howard getting hung out to dry for the most part. But uh, dude, there's, there's just nothing I like here. And, and Devontae Parker now, uh, assuming that he ends up playing, he's going to be seeing uh, Tredavious. Like, what else to like is there on the Miami side, if anything? Parker's not right. He's not right. He left no. the game again in the second half. And so even if he does play, I, I really think he's battling through lower body injuries right now. It was, it was impressive to see Preston Williams command the target share and the air yard share that he did, but the quality of his targets from Ryan Fitzpatrick are just not there. And the game script dictates that they're, they're just not getting to the end zone or towards the end zone enough for him to have really high value in fantasy football. We've seen this so many times before with Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he has a very solid, relatively efficient first year. And then the second year in a system, he starts to, uh, whether it's he's over aggressive or he forces the ball too much, he starts to uh, turn into a pumpkin. And he had three picks against a New England defense that lost a lot of pieces last week. It didn't really matter. Mike Gusecki, he did have, he did have some looks, but again, it's just the quality of the targets of this team. And again, just like the jets we were talking about earlier, I'm not touching these running backs. I don't want any part of them that just, they just don't have the upside, even in a tournament dart throw play for me. Yes, sir. I will not expand on that whatsoever. Cause it's completely unnecessary Buffalo. However, a decent, decent implied total here should be expected against Miami 23 and a half points. Uh, Josh Allen was another mixed bag last week. He made a couple big throws and he missed a couple really big throws. You know, he could have thrown four touchdowns pretty easily in this game, but uh, this is what you get from him. Uh, Jekyll and Hyde type performances every single week. Uh, he ran another touchdown in for 50. Uh, he had 57 yards rushing. Uh, and then on the ground, man, I'll tell you, as a big Devin Singletary guy, I'm a little bit concerned. Zach Moss saw 10 looks in the red zone. 10. Crazy. Singletary was on the field more than him, 
uh, 51 to 39 snaps. But the Zach Moss is quite clearly their red zone guy. Singletary in between the 20s is going to get a decent amount of work. But it just makes this backfield a whole lot harder to decipher. Um, I don't know. Maybe we look to like Stefan Diggs this week. John Brown, I know, uh, was practicing today. So there's that. But you, you could take over here. It's a mess with Buffalo, man. It's so hard to get this right. Yeah, I think from a DFS purpose, we should we should say it is a mess. It is a little bit tougher to get right, especially in the backfield. I'm sorry about your boy, Devin Singletary. Eh, it really, you know, life goes on. It really does look like Zach Moss is going to get a bunch of high leverage touches. He had four of their five goal line carries. As you said, Allen had the other. One nice thing to look about, look at the bills for in terms of stackability, Brown and Diggs saw over 50% of the target share and air yard share. So they are trying to get the ball a majority of their time to their major playmakers. It really concerns me though, that John Brown is hurt because John Brown, not at hundred percent. We've seen him really, really struggle to work through injuries before, and that can just slide more attention over to Diggs. Now I'm not concerned about Diggs usage. I'm not concerned about the Miami corners completely stopping him. And one thing I will mention, and this is just highlighting how important pace of play is that even tertiary options like Devin Singletary and Cole Beasley had more in terms of quality opportunities, whether that's a target or a goal line carry than any dolphin other than Preston Williams. And so these are the third and fourth options on a passing game, but the pace and the, pa- the pace and the passing is allowing some of these options to still be valuable. I, I believe Cole Beasley still saw his typical seven underneath targets like clockwork. He's still going to get his looks. And when you're playing the Jets, you can get those reps in as well. We got some free content on the site today. NFL showdown projections, completely free NBA ownership projections. If you haven't checked our ownership out yet, do so. If you're not a premium sub, you know where to go to check out some of this free stuff to get an idea of what we're doing over at Awesome O. MLB top pitchers uh, tool, which is really cool, and PGA top golfers. I know it locked, but you got a lot of slates coming up after this one for this same tournament. So uh, check all of that out free of the site, awesomeo.com. And remember, go to awesomeo.com slash joy if you like what you see. And if you're already a premium member and you haven't joined our premium Slack chat, make sure to jump in there. Uh, It's very cool. People talking DFS, around the clock, sports betting, and everything all day, all night long. So if you're a sub already, uh, it's a great place to be. It's an awesome community, and we think you'll like it. Arizona, Washington. All right, Matt, three to go here. We'll close this one out with these final or this final trio. The Washington Redskins are big dogs in this game, coming off uh, an impressive win against the Philadelphia Eagles. Eight sacks. Their run defense did all the work. They pressured the hell out of Carson Wentz and forced him into making a lot of bad decisions. But they are getting seven points here. This game, however, has a 47-point total, which was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, let's, let's get through Washington first because I don't think there's a ton to talk about here. Peyton Barber isn't a guy you're interested in, really. Antonio Gibson, he was, you know, he was, he made a couple of plays, but he's not going to be featured on the ground. And that should have been anticipated. Uh, Terry McLaurin. Okay. Uh, but the big one here is really Logan Thomas. That's the one everybody's talking about against an Arizona team that has struggled mightily to contain opposing tight ends. Thomas targeted eight times last game uh, was targeted in, in the red zone and caught a touchdown. So here you have it. We'll start with him and I'll let you just run with the Washington Redskins. Cause I really don't have much outside of Thomas. Yeah. So 
the yeah, Washington isn't that special. They did overperform in both offensive and defensive efficiency last week. Let's give them credit where credit was due. And one thing we do love to see is a new breakout tight end. Logan Thomas does fit the bill as one of these later, older aged breakout tight ends, elite athleticism, played a different position in college, came into the league as a quarterback, bounced around for a while, and now finds himself on a team that lacks playmakers and Rivera is getting the most out of him. He saw a huge amount of the weighted opportunity rating for Washington ahead of Terry McLaurin. He saw almost 30% of that entire pass volume for Washington. And that's nothing to scoff at for a player who's still severely underpriced. Now, could it be a one hit wonder? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the way he was utilized in that one game sample especially at the tight end position is something that we could really, we should really keep an eye on because it could be something in all formats, including DFS. Of course, we're going to be, we're going to be pouncing on. Now I'm not as concerned about Terry McLaurin. He was still schemed a ton of looks still at seven targets. And it really only took one or two broken tackles uh, in his matchup against Darius Slay. And his whole matchup would have been different or his fantasy output. I should say from there, the only reason Peyton Barber was so successful was because he had the goal line opportunities. I will say I'm encouraged by Washington's situational aggressiveness. They chose to go for it on a key fourth down that sealed the game late in the, late in the fourth quarter. And they also, they also chose to pass in certain situations in early game, excuse me, in neutral situations where they were slightly ahead, where they easily could have run the ball out played conservative and tried to just end the game quicker. They put their foot on the, put their foot on the gas and ended up beating Philly pretty soundly. I think if Arizona stacks are popular, which they likely will be uh, Murray and Hopkins, both getting good ownership. So is Christian Kirk. I think one of the mistakes that could be made here is if you're running it back with just Logan Thomas, Uh, I don't see the upside in doing so. Can he have a decent game? Maybe, sure, but he relies on – he's going to rely on scoring. Uh, I think the, the if, if McLaren and McLaren and Thomas are getting similar ownership, which right now they are, I'm absolutely going to want Terry McLaren as my run-back option. You know, in a high-scoring game, do you want the guy that can break off, you know, two separate 50-plus-yard recept- receiving touchdowns and give you a monster game? Or the tight end, who if he gives you 12 or 13, you're happy with it. If I'm stacking this one, McLaurin is the guy I want to run it back with. Just throwing that out there. Maybe you go McLaurin and Thomas. You hope that it's a massively high-scoring game. But just Thomas is my run back at almost 10% ownership. I don't see myself getting there. Now, with, uh, with the Arizona Cardinals, DeAndre Hopkins targeted 16 times last game was very, very, very involved in this offense. I think everyone came into this saying, yeah, you know, he's not going to see the same volume as before. Uh, Temper your expectations. Well, 40% market share of targets for DeAndre Hopkins. Lock it in, man. Kyler Murray, these young quarterbacks leaning on the, leaning on um, the veterans, the veteran, the, the talented preeminent receivers in this league, just like Joe Burrow targeted AJ Green nine times more than anybody else on that team. Uh, either way, it's a, it's a it's a pretty pretty good spot for Arizona, but I was a little bit surprised to see Kenyon Drake's ownership until I saw that he was priced at fifty nine hundred, and then you say, oh okay, it makes sense now. Yeah, I mean Drake, he's coming in at 
pretty aggressively the highest owned projection right now. So it's going to be a choice of what you do with Drake that kind of influences your lineup making this weekend. One detriment to Drake is that Chase Edmonds actually out-targeted Drake in terms of backfield opportunities. Now, Drake saw a majority of the workload on the ground. He got the goal line carry. But it is concerning that they are using Chase Edmonds, and especially at that high ownership, it's something you definitely have to consider. I'm certainly taking the L on, on DeAndre Hopkins. I thought there were a lot of schematic reasons that you would see a limited target share, and also the fact that there's this limited time that they had to get ready for this season. But it just goes to show you that these elite receivers, your Hopkins, your Adams, even your Thielens, they just command so much opportunity because they're that damn open. It's it really that simple. It is. That's all it is. Uh, and when you're a young quarterback, you're going to look to lean on them for sure. Uh, Josh in chat says, hate the spot for Murray against this pass rush and this O-line being average at best. Look, you're not wrong. It's a very good pass rush, and the offensive line for Arizona is, is, is okay. But don't look at last week's game and assume that the Redskins are going to do this to every single offensive line. The Eagles were without Lane Johnson. They're a pro bowl, all pro right tackle. They were without Andre Dillard. They were without Brandon Brooks, another one of the best linemen in the league. So that's as makeshift as you can possibly get. It doesn't get any worse than that. That's the easiest matchup on the, against an offensive line or for the defensive line that they're going to see all season. So I agree. It is I will big, say there's oh, sorry, what's that? Yeah, I also will say that the 49ers defensive front is pretty ferocious last time I checked, and Kyler Murray's ability to create with his legs to keep that rush at bay. It, we just saw it this week. It doesn't mean that Washington can't get to him, but we just saw the neutralization that he that he can do of that pass rush using his legs, finding Hopkins. There's definitely a formula in place. Great point. Two more to go, Kansas City and the L.A. Chargers. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet. It really does help us a ton. I know we've had some issues. The sound isn't syncing up. I don't know what it's going on, but we're powering through this, trying to give you guys the best free content we possibly can here uh, with awesomeo.com. So all your support is highly appreciated. Let's talk about Kansas City and the Chargers. Uh, right now, the Chiefs are they're favored, but not by a ton, right? Eight and a half. I guess, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's a lot. That is a lot. I, what am I talking about? They're eight and a half point favorites against the Chargers. That's a lot. The 47 and a half point total though, which is what I actually meant to say is lower than I anticipated. And the, the Kansas city chiefs coming into this one with, with Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, the young rookie, 25 attempts in his, his chiefs, his NFL debut, 138 yards, average five and a half yards per attempt. Uh, really impressive stuff. Patrick Mahomes was his average depth of target really wasn't that it wasn't that much. It was actually in the bottom half of the league. Uh, he has so many good receivers and pass catchers that are capable of creating yards after the catch. Now that isn't to say that you're not going to hit Tyreek Hill on some deep balls or Robinson uh, or, or really whoever else is out on the field, whether it be McCall Hardman or Watkins, he's got all the weapons in the world. Uh, but do, but in this game against the LA Chargers, even without Derwin James, are we paying for Patrick Mahomes? That's the big question. Not can Mahomes have a good game, but is it worth paying a premium for him, Matt? 
I really don't think so, particularly in cash games. Uh, of course, he has the ability to have one of these scores that you have to have on a slate. It just really is rare for these quarterbacks in this situation. Huge road favorite. It's a possibility that he doesn't have to throw that much in the second half, even to get them to that total. And ultimately, like you said, he's going to take his shots. And if some of those shots to those great playmakers hit, he might have a huge game, but it may not be that have to have it score, which makes me move away from him a little bit in DFS. I will say that their pace of play is fine. They're always going to throw the requisite amount of passes for him to be relevant and to make his pass catchers, even the tertiary options, fantasy relevant. You just don't necessarily have to have Mahomes. You don't. Do you have to have any pass catchers? Do you, what are your priorities for Kansas City? I always have a little bit of a bias towards Kelsey, and I felt like in the beginning of the game, it was more typical of the Chiefs that we saw in 2019, where they were trying these creative screen looks, getting Kelsey involved that way, and then trying to take deep shots. And then it looked more along the lines of Houston selling out to stop chunk plays, which led them to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, basically bringing them home the last two and a half quarters of the game. So in terms of pass catchers, I think it takes a lot for you to move away from Kelsey or Hill. But I think there's a good reason why Kelsey comes up first in ownership in this game at 7.7% and Hill's down at fourth, even below Keenan Allen. I'm kind of interested in the other side, only because Mike Williams uh, was, was pretty involved last game. Nine targets. Now, they couldn't connect on anything huge. He did have a 37-yard reception, which is encouraging. Uh, Terod Taylor, th there's, this, there's this perception that he'll never throw the deep ball. That's not really true. Uh, he, he will look to unload at times, and this might be one of those games where he has to unload, which I, I think you know, against Kansas City, eight-and-a-half-point uh, dogs against the Chiefs, there may, be, there may be an instance here, or this may be a situation where you're looking at a spot where Terod Taylor doesn't have any choice but to make it happen. Mike Williams was targeted on th uh, three times 20-plus yards downfield. Unfortunately, only one of those was catchable, but you get the point. There is a ceiling here. Uh, for me, though, my favorite player in this entire game, and this may surprise some people, is Austin Eckler. Uh, I, I see last week people are going to say 19 carries, only one target. Man, Joshua Kelly got a lot of opportunities, 10 touches to nine over Eckler in the second half of that game. Yeah, but settle down for a second because Austin Eckler was not needed in the passing game. Yes, pass or, uh, rushing quarterbacks are going to have an effect on pass catching backs, but at 2.5% projected ownership at 6,500, I can't imagine they don't try to get Austin Eckler involved very often, especially if they go from and they're playing from behind. Uh, I'm, ba I'm banking on a bounce back performance from Eckler. Close this game out with the Chargers wherever you want to go, Matt. Hey, I love that call. Eckler was still heavily involved, even though they saw Joshua, they gave Joshua Kelly some high leverage looks. Almost, it looked like to build up the confidence for the rookie, and it absolutely worked. I just went back and watched this game yesterday, too, to see if the schematic changes that I predicted for this Anthony Lynn, Tyra Taylor offense had come to fruition. And it really was. They played a ton of snaps in the pistol formation, ton of pre-snap motion, a ton of play action and misdirection. It looked a little bit like the Ravens. Not to say that Tyra's going to run at the same level of Lamar Jackson, nor does he have the weapons or the accuracy. But 
We saw deep targets, as you said, to Mike Williams. Right behind Mike Williams, nine targets was Keenan Allen with eight targets, Hunter Henry with eight targets, and a ton of routes run for Austin Eckler. It's not like they just forgot about using him in the passing game. Now, Anthony Lynn said a truism at the end of his his coaching conference. He said that rushing quarterbacks, as you mentioned, sometimes don't throw the ball down to running backs in their scheme. But he also said that he needs to do a better job of getting Austin Eckler the ball. And if you're not getting Austin Eckler the ball in space, what exactly are you doing? The last thing I'll say to that point is they actually were getting Austin Eckler available in space. If you look at next-gen stats, it's amazing that we can track these things now. If you looked at the expected yards per carry, that's based on when the ball carrier was handed the ball and the space that's available in front of them, Austin Eckler was number one in the NFL with over five yards per carry. So that's an advantageous offensive scheme and the receiving upside that we know exists as well as playmaking efficiency ability from him. So there's a lot to like here, even in a negative game script. Matt, we're almost there. You ready? Baltimore, Houston, close this one out. Let's do it. Let's roll. All right. Houston Texans. What an embarrassing performance in week one. I, I came into this one thing and man, they got three sub four, four guys that can run faster than they, they've got the fastest one of the fastest receiving cores in the league. Like they could do so much. And then look, David Johnson gets out to a great start. We're feeling good. Nope. Maybe this is probably blasphemous to people, but maybe, maybe Deshaun Watson just isn't that good. Ooh, that that's a toasty take there, Dave. I I think he's good, but I don't think he's top five. Like everyone puts him. I I honestly don't. I think he misses plenty of reads. He overshoots guys like he's good. And, and the, the offensive line hasn't done many favors for him. Fantasy wise his scrambling ability is his ability to rush is is big, but I, I don't know. I think I could, I think I'd pick five quarterbacks to start a franchise over Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And I think his, his stock gets inflated because of, victories and huge games as a collegiate player. And again, in the, in his first season, just absolutely going off in these big marquee matchups. One of the things that was mentioned by the public broadcasters, media alike, were saying that the Texans had essentially shored up their offensive line over the off season with a, with a series of good picks. And they had Titus Howard last year. They got Laramie Tunsil from Miami. And to be honest, the chiefs were getting home all the time. And they've, they've got playmakers for sure. They've got Frank Clark. They've got, they've got huge playmakers for sure. But they were overrun on the offensive line even after, like you said, David Johnson got off to a hot start. Will Fuller, hats off to him. He is going to just see a huge amount of opportunity in this offense. He, it felt like he didn't really do anything, and he had 22 PPR points. Like, we didn't really hear about him, and yet he still had over 20 points. That's a great wide receiver to have, especially if he's under-owned compared to the other 22-point wide receivers that you're looking for. I mean, from there, though, I I didn't think Brandon Cooks looked healthy at all. I didn't think that Watson utilized his secondary options like Stills or Cobb well, well either. It was encouraging to see David Johnson using the passing game. I saw that I believe he had four or five targets, but... Mostly this is Fuller, this is Watson's rushing ability, and this is essentially their aggressiveness and their ability to just stay in a game that they may not have any business staying in if you're really rooting for the Texans. Are you stacking this game? Uh, 
I so naked Lamar is something that I'm always considering in tournament options or even in cash games if I'm going to go contrarian just because I don't really care about which pass catcher goes off for Houston though maybe a little bit of Fuller and Watson that makes a little bit of sense but it's going to take a whole lot to move me on to any other receiver I just don't see it Jimmy Smith Marcus Peters Marlon Humphrey it's ugly yeah that's scary it really is uh, on the Baltimore side, yeah, if you run in the run out naked, uh, Lamar Jackson, I think you could. But I'd also point out there are a lot of really good quarterback options. So don't feel that you have to pay all the way up. Uh, if, if you do, it's perfectly fine. And I think he'll have a much easier time rushing than he did against Cleveland. The one thing that Cleveland did was actually did a pretty solid job of, of limiting the run game, the ground game for Baltimore. But it didn't matter because they just carved them up through the air. Uh, we'll finish with this. Mark Andrews, uh, Marcus Brown, anything in the run game. I- I'm staying away from the ground game for now. I just think Mark Ingram and, and J.K. Dobbins, even Gus Edwards was part of this three-way timeshare. I-, I don't see myself getting there, but you could close us out with uh, Mark Andrews, Marcus Brown. Anything else here for the Baltimore uh, Ravens? Yeah, the running back you want in the Ravens offense is Lamar Jackson. Even right. if he had an off game last week, the running game option you want is Jackson. And just like you said, he was phenomenal as a passer. We saw Mark Andrews finally get the full snap share that we expected him to get. He made the most of it and he had the most target share. And in terms of air yard share, it was Marquise Brown, the long play threat, exactly what we wanted. I wonder as the season goes on that they actually consolidate this offense a little bit, just because Andrews and Brown are both true playmakers hitting their stride with Jackson who basically just started right where he left off last season. He looked unstoppable as a passer this week. All right, Matt, final thoughts. You can check out Matt's article, by the way, at awesome.com, A-W-E-S-E-M-O.com. It is free. It is awesome. It's a comprehensive, thorough breakdown for this 13-game slate. Uh, Well, we just hit two hours. Sometimes you have to, right? Like, if we're going to really give – I feel like if we're going to give the best information we can here – you can't do 13 games in an hour. I see some sites do it and it just doesn't make any sense, Matt. You have, you have to go the distance. You have to, it's a marathon, man. Absolutely. I felt we left a ton out. We could have said a ton more, another two. That's wrong. We absolutely could have, but that would be out of control. It's a Joe Rogan experience of football might be tough for some people to stomach, but Hey, for all of you guys that stuck with us throughout this, we appreciate you. Everyone watching this on replay. Appreciate you as well. Great luck this weekend. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the NFL Strategy Show. On the contrary, is coming up uh, Saturday. Uh, Strategy Show Saturday as well. And then the Deeper Dive, Live Before Lock, and all of that great stuff throughout the week, leading you up to 1 p.m. Lock on Sunday. Remember, go check out Matt's article at awesomeo.com. And follow us if you haven't done so yet. It's the best decision you'll ever make. At Draftaholic and myself at Lafayette underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. We'll see you guys soon.